Your word will bring revelation. Today, Mitzi, look at me, Mitzi. Today, you will bring revelation. Today, the Lord has given you revelation. And church, as I stretch out my hands to you, it has been revealed to you. It will be revealed and you will interpret his word today. It is going to be deposited in your spirit, but your spirit will walk with it. Your spirit will command it. Mitzi, you have been given authority and you've been given power. And as you speak his word, the revelation that will go forth is from the courts of heaven. He's bringing it today. And in fact, there's an angel right with you now. And he's going to speak into your ears. And as, you, and as he's talking to you, he's, going to, um, he's, he's, he's um, reading out exactly what the Father has got to say to you. So as you open your mouth, the fire of the Lord will come upon you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Glory, hallelujah. Well, I've got, my, I've got my notes and I'll use them loosely. Um, this, this kind of message was inspired by... Um, I'll give you a nod. Yeah, not yet. This message was inspired by uh, reading the book of Acts and in particular Paul, when Paul was on his journey on the, the road to Damascus. And, you know, in looking at the book of Acts, you know, the, the actual title of the book of Acts is all about... Um, the doings, what the apostles actually did with the teaching and with the time they spent with the Lord. And it comes from a, a, a word that means, well, it's praxis, which actually means their practices of the lessons their master has taught them. And in essence, we should all have a book of Acts. We all, you know, hear the word, we're all most of us know the Lord. And there must be some practical outdoing of what we have learned and what we have been taught and of our encounter with the Lord. So in Paul's example, he was, um, he was passionate about persecuting the church. He was very opposed to, to this new belief, this new faith. And he wanted to to, to stop them from challenging the ways of the, the, the Jewish people at the time. And he, he, was, he was fervent about reducing the spread of this new practice. And so in reading about Paul and how he encountered the Lord, how God arrested him and God stopped him, and God asked him, why are you persecuting me? And God... He, was, he went through, uh, Paul went through a period of blindness for three days. During those three days, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. He had a period to meditate, reflect, consider what was happening to him. When he did eventually receive his sight, there was a complete transformation. And in reading his, his behavior towards the end of the book of Acts, he could not stop talking about the Lord. He could not stop testifying. He could not stop recognizing that certain things were wrong and wanting to tell you about his experience, about his, his transition. And that really struck me. It struck me because it made me wonder, how often do we testify? The Bible says... 
you know, that we, we are to consider in the book of Revelations, we are to consider where we have fallen. In Revelations 2 and verse 2, it says, this is the Living, living Bible translation, I know that you've done many good things. I've watched your hard work and your patience. I know you don't tolerate sin. Um, I know that you've carefully examined claims of the apostles. I know that you, you, you look at your ways and you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. But yet there is one thing wrong. You don't love me as you did at first. Think about those times of your first love. How different it is now. And turn back to me again and work as you did before or else. Or else. The Lord wants you to return to your first love. When you first knew him. When you couldn't stop talking about him. I met a friend of mine many, many years ago. About 20 years ago, she came to my home. She knocked on the door and came in and she said to me, Mitzi, I remember meeting you on the train about five years ago and you just kept telling me about how you got born again. And I've come to see you today with my husband to tell you that I got saved because of what you said. And I was so shocked that, that what, I could, what I could share had an impact on her life and she wanted to come and see me. When I watched the, um, there was a, a, a celebration of the life of Aretha Franklin, and that was on TV a few weeks ago. And this particular pastor, he did her eulogy. And he spoke about Americans, particularly black Americans, but I could use his, his message, because there's, no, um, there's no robbery, no plagiarism. <laughs> And I could, I could, and I gleaned from him that he, he was talking about losing your soul. And it made me think, have we lost our soul? But his example was, well, it was a simple illustration about a, it was in the times of slavery, the master went away. But before he left, he asked his overseer to look after his son's clothes. When the, when the master returned, Jovaseer ran up to him and he said, I've looked after your son's clothes. I've washed them regularly. I've pressed them. I've kept them neat and tidy. I didn't let anybody touch them. I, I, I treasured them. I prized them. And then he said, oh, but your son, master, has died. And this pastor said, have you lost your soul? And I thought, well, what do you mean? But what he was saying was, we do things. We invest time in things that we think are important. We major on the minor and not the most precious things that we need to be doing. He focused on the external things. Do, how much do we focus on the external things and not on the internal things? In Matthew 23, in verse 23, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites. He said, you tithe mint and dill and cumming, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, 
justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Do we strain our eyes and attention at small things and leave the big things that we should attend to? The Bible says, he said, Woe, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and greed. You blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside of them may also be clean. It challenged me to think about me and my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And many, many unsaved people feel that the church is full of hypocrites because we judge, because we, we're standoffish, because we feel we're superior. And sometimes we major in the minor. What are we going to wear to go to church? You know, when we have conversations with each other, do we use Christian language? Do we drop in scripture? Do we faith things away? You know, when I first got saved, we couldn't tell the truth. We had to, if someone said, um, how are you? If I had a streaming cold, I would say, by his stripes, I'm healed. I couldn't say, I've got a cold. And some of us, we still have that mentality where we're bound by, can I be honest? Can I say what I want to say? Or do I need to continue to have this external veneer while internally I'm in pieces? Internally, I need help. Internally, I'm a mess, but I dare not tell you because we're at church. You know, if I'm a mess, does that mean that I'm not saved enough? Does that mean that I haven't allowed God to do enough? Perhaps, perhaps I haven't. Perhaps some of the things I'm going through in my own life is because of things that, that, I've, that I'm doing. I've got practices and behaviors that continue to allow God to just remain on the outside. Many of us want God to do something new in us while we keep doing the same old thing. We want him to change our circumstances, but we don't want to change. None of us want to remain the same. Mary, I was so encouraged by your testimony. So encouraged. Many of us are like Mary. We want change. We have a little calling, a little unction. Somebody wants to see us. God wants to do something in our life. But we are resistant. We want to go, don't want to go. We know if we go, it's going to mean change. It might be painful. It might be, it, it's, it's, some of it's fear, as we heard yesterday. But ultimately, we know we don't want to remain the same. So we're asking God for new wine. And we will need to be the new wineskin. The new wine cannot come into an old wineskin because that it will burst. So change is a two-sided coin which reads out with the old and in with the new. Most of us get stuck spiritually because we keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. You know, there's, 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 a, there's a natural kind of... Um, 
illustration, you know, you cannot get new results doing the same thing. But yet, we want to blame everybody else while we keep doing the same thing that produces the same results that we don't want, but it's never our fault. It's always somebody else. So we get stuck in our routines. Now, most of us, you know, the, the, spiritual, the spiritual routines that we have, they are a crucial part of our spiritual growth. But when our routine becomes routine, then we need to change it. We only need that routine for a moment to get us from where we are to where we go. What got us where we are may not get us to where God wants us to go next. So we have to change. In Paul's life, as he spoke about his testimony and shared what God had done in his life, it caused an impact on those around him. And sometimes that impact can cause, you know, he had to run for his life on several occasions. He had to leave this country and that country. He had to sail by ship, travel by foot. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was jailed. He was offended. All because he was sharing his testimony. All because he was sharing what God had done in him. And sometimes we don't want to share what God has done in, in us. And we end up losing that love and that zeal that we once had. We should not allow our routines and our behaviors to imprison us and to blindside us. If you could put up the illustration. And when I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, Lord, I don't want to come with a message of doom and gloom. I don't want to beat everybody up. But the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful. And it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is, it is the word that can separate soul and spirit and joint and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. We cannot judge ourselves. We cannot rely on ourselves to judge ourselves. This is an example. This is called the Jahari window. And this window is made up of four quadrants. There's one where we have an open self. That is information that we know about ourselves and people know about ourselves. There's our hidden self, where there's things about us that we don't want other people to know. Sometimes we call it private, sometimes it's personal, sometimes we're just deceitful, sometimes we, we know our weaknesses, we don't want to admit them. That could be the area where there's sin in our life. There's also a blind self, that this is a part of our life that we don't know about, but other people can see. We walk around in a particular way or attitude or behavior. Many years ago, I used to, I have this kind of habit sometimes of talking to myself. And there was one occasion when I was doing that, and my daughter said to me, Mommy, your lips are moving. <laughs> I didn't know that when I talk to myself, my lips move. And, you know, to some people that would seem like this woman's off her head. 
But we have a blind self. There's things and ways about you and I that other people see. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. What are you like? Can people tell you about your blind self? Can they? At work, I manage a team, and I have to have regular one-to-ones with my team members. I have to sit them down, and I have to say to them, okay, these are your performance stats. Are there any issues affecting your performance? Because, you know, this is where you need to be, and this is where you are now. You know, we have this kind of regular assessment. In our personal lives, we never have that. We don't. My, my team members cannot be blind to their performance. It's my job as their manager to make sure that they're performing to the optimum because we're paying them for something. In our lives as Christians, we need to be in a position where our blind self can be, can be communicated to us. We heard yesterday about, you know, um, creativity, and we heard about fear. Can people talk to you? Can they talk to you about your blind self? Can they talk in a way that's constructive? Can they talk in a way that's liberating? Are you the kind of person that is hiding in plain sight? Are you the salt of the earth? And if you are the salt of the earth, do you add flavor or or do you destroy? And when I say destroy, what I mean is, are you a glass half empty? Are you a naysayer? Are you, do you have a way about you that just makes people clam up? That makes people think, oh no, I can't. No, I shouldn't. Are you, a, are you a weight to other people? Is that your blind self? What are you like? Can people talk to you? Can they tell you? Can they? Can God tell you? Can he tell you? Or, or do you listen to the word of God and think, yeah, that's for them. That's for her. I know someone like that. Do you not know? God is trying to show you yourself. He wants all of you. He wants your blind self. And then there's your unknown self. That's information about you that you don't know and no one knows. These are the areas of our life. Our heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. We can't judge ourselves. It makes no sense that we do. Many years ago, I used my daughter as an example again, because she's here. It was a moment where I had to discipline her because she'd been naughty. This was, you know, many years ago. And so I called her into my room, and she, I hope she knew that she deserved to be disciplined. She came in, and she was already crying, you know, you know that tactic, parents? <laughs> she was already crying, and she said, Mummy. I said, yeah. She said, can I do it myself? <laughs> she wanted to inflict 
the punishment on herself. You know, I wanted to laugh. I held it in. I gave her a bit of what for. But we cannot judge ourselves. We can't. We cannot decide what punishment we need, what change we need. We can't. It's not always about bad things in our life. Sometimes it's about taking stock. Sometimes it's about realizing, okay, if I want to change, where do I start? What are the changes I need to make? We, we spoke about fear yesterday, and people are often afraid of change because they don't know what the future holds, what, what the new will look like. We get used to our comforts and our complacency. We cannot allow our, our heart to judge us. We have to allow the word of God in. Paul said, not sorry, Paul, John the Baptist, he said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And that's what I am saying to you all today. We cannot remain the same. We are going from glory to glory. We're moving. We're on a journey. God is preparing us for what he's prepared us for. So I would challenge you to prepare you the way of the Lord. Make room for him and the things that he's prepared you for. Recently, I began to, I began to do a, a detox program. And part of that program is, it starts off with flushing out my system. I can't have toxins in my body and begin to put new healthy food in while the old toxins remain in my system. The toxins in our body, some, some of it comes from food, some comes from external things, some of the chemicals that we use on our bodies and so forth. And they have an effect on our body. We don't always function at our optimum with the toxins in. And if we do not have a regular constitution, then the waste in our body releases more toxins and they're just reabsorbed. And so at the beginning of the program, you have to have a flush. And we need, spiritually, we need a flush. We need to have the old routines washed from us. We need to have repentance in our life so God can re remove those sins. We have to move away from simply repenting and then going back to do the same thing. We have to repent and turn around. When you get saved, you get saved, you're in sin. When you, when you get saved and say the sinner's prayer, you don't go back and do what you used to do. You don't. When you repent before the Lord, when you ask him to show you yourself, to reveal the areas in your life where you're keeping him out, where you're being a hindrance or a negative influence on others, you have to allow him to change you. Because that's what he wants to do. He is going to go on with or without you. He, that's what he's going to do. When Jesus comes back 
it's going to be up to us whether we're ready for his return, whether we'll go up in the rapture or not. And we have things in our lives that really hinder us. There was a, there was a story of a school teacher, and she said to her, her pupils, her, her young pupils, for everybody that has ever offended you, what I want you to do is to come to class tomorrow with a tomato and come in and I'll tell you what to do. So the next day, the pupils came to school. Some had a few tomatoes. Some had lots of tomatoes. And she said, what I want you to do, I want you to carry those tomatoes around with you for the next two weeks. As they carried the tomatoes with them, the tomatoes began to decay, they began to smell, and they began to weigh more and more and more. Some of them complained, why do we have to keep doing this? She said, I want to show you what unforgiveness or what sin does in your life. It, it weighs you down, it holds you back. It has an odour. It may not always be an odour you can smell, but it could be a behaviour. It could be an attitude. It could be um, a chip on your shoulder. It could be a mindset. It could be that it's always somebody else's fault. But today, we have an appointment Today is the opportunity to prepare the way of the Lord in your life. Because he is doing a new thing. We cannot think in our minds that we're going to be able to continue to live our lives the way we've lived them before if we keep doing the old things that are no longer relevant and current. With our old mindsets with our hip hypocrisies, with our blind self, what kind of offering, what kind of service are we giving to the Lord? In 1 Corinthians, it says, for other foundation, no one, no man lay than this is laid, which is Jesus. Now, if a man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. We don't want to spend our time doing the external things and giving to God wood, hay, and stubble. There is no point. We're not fooling the Lord. We're on the wrong track. We're wasting our time. We need to be giving God the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. And some of those, those greater things that we give the Lord, they are made up of our sacrifice. They're made up of our positioning towards him. They're made up of our focus being upon him. They're made up of our trying, our yielding, our submission. We want to give him the first fruits and the good fruits. We want to be like Paul. 
Paul, even when he was imprisoned, he held audience with the kings, with the, with the high priests, with the, the leaders in, in Roman times. And they wanted to hear what he had to say. Paul was captive. He was not a free man. Sometimes we think, I can't do this because. Paul was, he was limited physically. But yet he still had influence and power to minister to the Lord and to minister about what God had done in his life. I want to encourage you this morning to prepare the way of the Lord in your life. It is a serious opportunity, but we have to. We cannot continue to drag around those old smelling tomatoes. And sometimes we tend to keep them in our, in our blind side. Everybody else, everyone else can see them. Everyone else can smell them. Everyone else can see that trail of tomato on the floor. But you, but me, I pray that today, when you speak to the Lord, that you think long and hard about the changes that you need to make for God to operate in your life. Think long and hard. Have a plan. It doesn't have to be a radical change. It starts off with being honest and asking God to help you in those small steps that will lead to big things. Because God loves you. He's gracious and he's merciful. If, if he was like some of us, we would have we would have locked you out because that's what we're like. Sometimes we're so judgmental. We don't understand the issues and the journeys that people have been through that make them the way they are. But God does. And he's saying to you, you don't have to remain like that. He's saying to you, let me in. Let me send my vessels. Let me send my, the presence of God. Let me open those doors in your life because I've got new wine for you. It's yours. It's got your name on. This new wine can radically transform your life. It can take you as far as the east is to the west from that situation that you think has held you captive. Be honest with yourself. Some things you know in your hidden area, you know there's things about yourself that you need to deal with. This is no time to pretend this is not a time to be a hypocrite. But God loves you and he wants us all to move on to what he's got in store for us. Amen. Amen. What an awesome word. And uh, I just feel this is the time now that God wants us just to come and just come and just throw those things that we shouldn't be carrying, that we shouldn't be doing, the attitudes, whatever it is that God's been speaking to us about, just come out and we're, we're, uh, Mitzi and 